1: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company. They offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hey molly this is Michaela.
2: i'm 24 i'm a submarine from texas and i just wanted to let you know i i just finished your same shame series and i really think you and your podcast single-handedly are the reason why i have any sort of spiritual aspect to my life now um it's actually become really important to me but for the longest time i was so turned off by it I grew up in a really high control, authoritarian, uh, religious cult, and because of that, I was so highly turned off by anything that I didn't have evidence of in a peer reviewed journal, uh, it, <laughs> I was definitely limiting myself, but I trust your brain, I trust your research. And for the first time, you really opened me up to that world, and I told my psychiatrist that. And yeah, she loved it so much, listened to the entire series and recommended it to her patients. And I think John Bradshaw would be so proud of how you've continued his legacy, and I'm sure his family is too. I hope that they've they've heard your podcast, but I really appreciate you, just wanted to share that, bye.
0: Welcome to Back From The Borderline, I'm your host Molly, and I don't want to talk to your personality, I want to talk to your soul. The idea of alchemy is to reduce something with fire, burning it down so that something new can rise from the ashes. You can do this with your personality too. You can perform emotional alchemy. You've always had the power, you just didn't know it. And now, you do. On this podcast, you'll learn to view your symptoms as saviors, as alerts from your body, mind, and spirit that want to let you know that you're out of alignment with the deepest yearnings of your soul. From chaos comes clarity. Through working with and integrating the concepts we'll explore together, you'll emerge transformed, standing in the ashes of the person you used to be. Because anyone, even you, can come back from the borderline. Thank you, Michaela, for that beautiful voicemail. I know exactly how it feels to be dealing with issues that come up around religious trauma and also to just be burned out on content that feels exclusionary or cringy when it comes to new age spirituality because it feels almost like we're being pelted with that from every direction on spaces like instagram or tiktok so it's hard to know recognize identify and find resources that allow you to reconnect to a sense of integral spirituality Ken Wilbur is one of my favorite humans. He is an American theorist and writer on transpersonal psychology, and he created his own integral theory, which is a four-quadrant grid which purports to encompass all human knowledge and experience. He is a student and researcher of all different forms of spirituality, and he believes in what he coined Integral Spirituality, which is a holistic and inclusive approach to spirituality that aims to transcend and integrate various spiritual and religious traditions, beliefs, and practices. It's different from other forms of spirituality that might sow division and be more dogmatic because it seeks to find common ground and create a more comprehensive, unifying framework for spiritual exploration. An integral approach to spirituality recognizes the value of multiple spiritual and religious traditions. It acknowledges that different traditions have unique insights and practices that contribute to a more comprehensive understanding of the spiritual journey. So instead of excluding or negating other spiritual paths, it seeks to integrate and honor them. Integral spirituality also takes a holistic approach recognizing that it includes personal development, psychological growth, and ethical concerns. This framework sees spirituality as encompassing all aspects of our life, not just something confined to religious rituals or beliefs. One of the central ideas of integral spirituality that I really love is the transcend and include principle, This means transcending the limitations and dogmas of any one tradition, while also including the wisdom and practices that that tradition offers. It's not about rejecting or dismissing any tradition, but rather finding a more comprehensive perspective that transcends their limitations. Something else I think that is particularly important about Ken's model is that it incorporates a developmental piece which views spiritual growth as a continuous process that evolves and unfolds over time. Integral spirituality recognizes and appreciates that we as individuals might progress through different stages of spiritual development and integral spirituality aims to honor and support these various stages. It also emphasizes transpersonal experiences, which are experiences that go beyond individual or egoic consciousness These experiences can foster a sense of unity with all of existence and transcend the divisions based on religious or cultural differences. This framework also seeks to integrate scientific insights with spiritual wisdom. It recognizes that scientific discoveries can actually shed light on the nature of reality and complement spiritual understandings. In contrast to Integral Spirituality, some other forms of spirituality, like the cult that Michaela described in her voicemail that she was raised in, can be divisive and dogmatic because they often insist on the exclusivity of their beliefs and practices. They may reject or demonize other traditions, leading to interfaith conflict and division, which is very common in the world, especially today. These dogmatic approaches can also become fundamentalist, intolerant, and resistant to change or growth. And this dogmatic approach to spirituality can either traumatize us and make us completely be, as Michaela mentioned, turned off at any mention at all of spirituality, which is a completely understandable reaction. It stifles the growth of societies and can even lead to mass murder or genocide. Embracing a more integral approach to spirituality is characterized by its commitment to inclusivity, integration, and a broad, flexible, and open minded approach to spiritual exploration. It aims to transcend the limitations of divisive and dogmatic spiritual perspectives and create a more unifying and harmonious approach to spiritual growth and understanding. You'll have likely noticed that my recent episodes have been all about tapping into our imaginative and intuitive faculties. This is by design. Almost every listener of my podcast is a highly sensitive, highly emotional and intuitive person. and These types of people are often incredibly creative, regardless of whether or not they have a creative outlet in their life at the moment. And the sad reality is, is that when extremely sensitive and creative people are disconnected from these parts of themselves, it means that they're often very stifled. And the thing about creative energy is, is that it needs to go somewhere. So it gets shoved in the unconscious and often manifests in patterns of dramatic and chaotic relationships, friendships, or other types of drama and addiction in our lives. I'm bringing in guests the last few weeks that will challenge us to get into a more open, curious, intuitive, and imaginal mind space. The kind of mental space that often leads to repressed pain and emotional baggage becoming consciously expressed through creative work. I have a very special guest today and a really profound interview that I'm excited for you to hear, but it's important that we cover some things before we dive into our conversation. Cultures throughout time have venerated the dead as a way to maintain a connection with their ancestors and seek guidance or assistance. This practice is rooted in the belief that the deceased continue to exist in some form and can influence the living. Ancestor veneration often involves rituals, offerings, and prayers to honor and communicate with the departed. It serves as a way to maintain a sense of continuity and community with those who came before us. Mainstream religious institutions at various points in history labeled the veneration of deceased ancestors as demonic for several reasons. Firstly, such institutions often sought to consolidate their power and influence over the religious beliefs and practices of their constituents by labeling alternative practices as demonic they could marginalize and control those who engaged in them secondly they aimed to establish a clear distinction between their religious dogma and indigenous or folk traditions This allowed religious authorities to assert their orthodoxy and discourage individualized spiritual experiences that might challenge their authority. The Catholic Church, during the European witch hunts of the early modern period, labeled people, particularly women, who communed with their dead ancestors as witches. This was done to suppress alternative forms of spirituality that posed a threat to the church's authority. Such practices were seen as heretical and in competition with the church's teachings. Labeling women as witches provided a means to control and persecute those who were perceived as challenging religious orthodoxy. This had devastating consequences, including the persecution and execution of countless innocent people. In modern popular culture, depictions of the dead have often been demonized, particularly in genres like Halloween, zombie movies, and horror. This shift has changed the cultural view of the dead, portraying them as malevolent and terrifying entities. This trend can be attributed to the appeal of horror as a genre and the desire to explore the darker aspects of human existence. However, it has contributed to a general fear of death and a detachment from traditional practices of ancestor veneration and honoring the deceased. Many cultures in modern times continue to work with their dead ancestors. Some specific examples include Chinese ancestor worship. Ancestor veneration is still a significant practice in Chinese culture. Families hold ceremonies and offerings to honor their ancestors, seeking their guidance and blessings. In Mexico, the celebration of Dia de los Muertos is a vibrant celebration and involves creating altars, offering food, visiting cemeteries to commune with deceased loved ones. It combines indigenous practices with Catholicism. Various African cultures such as the Yoruba in Nigeria engage in ancestor veneration. Ancestors are seen as intermediaries between the living and the divine many indigenous and native american communities maintain traditions of honoring the dead and seeking their wisdom these practices are often closely tied to their spiritual beliefs and rituals i realize that the concepts i'll be exploring with my guest may be counter to what you've been taught to believe whether that was through your religious upbringing or the portrayals of the deceased you've seen in modern culture you see The idea of venerating the dead and seeking guidance from them may seem unfamiliar or even unsettling, given the influence of mainstream narratives that often depict them as malevolent or haunting beings, but I invite you to maintain a level of open-minded curiosity. Approach this subject with an inquisitive mind, much like an adventurer embarking on a new, uncharted territory because there are immense benefits to doing so. When we approach life with an open-minded and curious outlook, we invite growth and expansion into our psychological landscape. We tap into the vast reservoir of human experience and wisdom, transcending boundaries and limitations. This attitude is fundamental to the process of psychological integration, a journey where we seek to harmonize diverse facets of our psyche, bringing together the conscious and the unconscious, the known and the unknown. An open mind encourages us to question, to explore, and to embrace the richness of diverse perspectives and traditions. It helps us bridge the gaps between seemingly disparate belief systems and find the common threads that weave through the tapestry of human spirituality and experience. In doing so, we embark on a path towards self-discovery, emotional healing, and a deeper connection with the world around us. So I invite you to join me in this exploration as we venture beyond the boundaries of conventional thought and unlock the treasures hidden within the realm of ancestral veneration and the mysteries of the dead. together we'll uncover the profound impact of these practices on our psyche, our spirituality, and our understanding of the human experience. Today's guest is Perdita Finn. Perdita is the co-founder with her husband, Clark Strand, of the non-denominational international fellowship, The Way of the Rose, which inspired their book, The Way of the Rose, The Radical Path of the Divine Feminine Hidden in the Rosary. In addition to extensive study with Zen masters, priests, rabbis, shamans, and healers, she apprenticed with the psychic Susan Saxman, with whom she wrote The Reluctant Psychic. Perdita now teaches popular workshops on getting to know the dead, in which participants are empowered to activate the magic in their own lives with the help of their ancestors. She lives with her family in the moss-filled shadows of the Catskill Mountains i had the pleasure and great honor of receiving an early copy of perdita's book take back the magic conversations with the unseen world which was released in september of 2023 i'd like to read you what the book is about what if you could live in a world where the guidance of those who were gone was available right at your very fingertips it's possible if we are open to it anyone can reclaim the forgotten guidance of the dead and anyone can return to the realm of magic and miracles. In this book, Perdita reveals that life is beginningless, love is endless, and those who have passed don't truly go anywhere when they die. Weaving together memoir, history, and a non-denominational spirituality based in ecology, Perdita Finn invites readers to live the experience that the stories of our lives are much older, bigger, and more merciful than we have been led to believe. Take Back the Magic takes the reader on a journey of healing, possibility, and love, as the story of how Perdita healed her relationship with her bitter, patriarchal father long after his death unfolds over the course of 13 moving chapters. Along the way, readers will learn how they too can reconnect with the generous guidance of the soul's long journey through deep time, recovering their lost relationships with their ancestors and with the earth itself. Throughout, Perdita shares guidance, tips, and practical advice that will aid readers in forging their own relationships with those who have passed, as she invites every reader to reconnect with their own inner knowing and to call forth magic from the most ancient parts of humanity an inspiring invitation to healing in this life and to experience that we are never alone. Take Back the Magic shows that the whole world is simply souls reaching out to and finding each other. And no one is ever truly lost to us if we allow ourselves to begin our conversations with the unseen world. This book is going to be incredibly impactful for anyone who has struggled with the father wound. Perdita has an incredibly complex relationship with her father, as you'll hear in our interview. And reading this book was healing for me in more ways than I can even begin to describe to you now. I had the pleasure of joining one of Perdita's non-denominational rosary groups, and it was the most beautiful experience. These are free sessions available at various times of the week that are accessible to anyone across multiple time zones. The group that I joined was so diverse. Everyone is welcome, regardless of gender, sexuality, background. There were people from all over the world. It was really magical to witness. Now, before we dive into this interview, I want to provide you with a disclaimer. Something happened with my audio equipment, which means that my voice sounds a little bit like I'm talking to you through a toilet. It is not the audio quality that you're hearing from my voice right now. When I opened up the file, I was just devastated to hear, but thankfully I used some audio software to clean things up as best I could, but thankfully I don't talk very much in this interview. It's mostly just Perdita which is what you came here for. Perdita is an amazing storyteller. You will be whisked away by her words. This episode is one to listen to when you're cozy, curled up with a candle or in the bath to really enjoy it. I hope that it makes you feel less alone. I hope that it makes you feel more held. We talk about mothers, fathers, and the dead and how we are deeply connected to everything, everywhere, all at once. So without further ado, it's my pleasure to bring you my interview with Perdita Finn.
3: Hi Molly, I'm Perdita Finn and the author of Take Back the Magic, Conversations with the Unseen World. And- What a pleasure it is to be with you here today. I
0: connected with Perdita on Instagram after following her daughter, Sophie Strand. You just have the most creative and mystical, magical family. My first question is, your book, Take Back the Magic, is deeply rooted in personal stories, including your own journey of healing the father wound. And I wanted to know if you'd be able to share a little bit about the complex relationship that you had with your own father and how he became such an essential part of this book even after his passing.
3: My father was a very complicated person. And sometimes it's easier if people are just simple monsters, right? We can dismiss them, walk away from them, get rid of them. But when people are a mix of many things, and we feel great love for them and great rage at them, it's really hard to sort it all out, particularly when they're alive. And my father was one of those people. He um, he was a first gen. You know, his father was an immigrant. He was the first, you know, eldest son to go, first person to go to college. And you know, he stepped away from his parents, what he considered superstitious religiosity, into you know, post World War II modern cool guy, right? And he was the coolest guy in the room. And yet there was. It left him bereft, as it has left many people bereft, which was incredible yearning and spiritual impulses that he didn't know what to do with, tremendous shame. He carried all the shame of his violation of his upbringing, right? So he was a mix of, you know, shame, resentment, you know, whatever. And such a mess. um, We had a hard time together. I loved him very much. I admired him. He made me furious. We fought. Uh, I didn't speak to him once for three years towards the end of his life. He had left my mother um, when I was 17. He had remarried, you know, a woman the same age as my brother. You know what I mean? It's it's such a typical story, right? It's such a messy, typical story. And, And yet when he died, he died in my arms. And he died seeing his parents come into the room, the parents he had broken with and dismissed. And his death was very, very moving to me. And he died with tremendous grace. Um, He was a doctor. He diagnosed his own cancer from the CAT scan he had made of himself, called us up and said, it's spread everywhere. I'm going to be gone in a month. You should come up this weekend and say goodbye. And we all drove up you know all the grandkids my my siblings and myself all the grandkids came into his bedroom and he said so this is what it looks like when an old man dies does it look scary he said, no he said come on get in bed with me he said this is what you do when you get to the end it was such yes it was i mean it was like it was a surprising gift and it was really um moving, and there was a sense of healing when he died and and grace and then I found out a few weeks after he'd gone that he'd completely cut all of the kids from his first marriage out of his will and it, I mean and then my book documents the sort of and it wasn't like I wanted money or something what I wanted was love what I wanted was an acknowledgement of intimacy and affection, and instead, what I got was keep away from my stuff and how do you heal with somebody when they're gone? And that's really the question that my book asks and explores. And it's a question I ask and explore a lot in my work I do with people in workshops. But you wrote a piece that I really thought about, which is, it, I did not forgive my father, Molly. And you know what? It was maybe for the first time in my life. It was safe to be as angry at him as I really was because he was gone. He couldn't hurt me anymore. I mean he he'd been a physically violent guy not her you know he he not to me particularly, but to my mother yes. so when he was dead, it was finally safe for me to feel a lot of my rage. and I did and it poured through me. And then he started showing up. make amends and that's what the book documents is how the dead aren't in their bodies anymore their personalities haven't changed but they see their mistakes Mm -hmm. and they can atone for those mistakes i mean we're gonna need to atone for mistakes we make mistakes without knowing it to many not just human beings but many beings on this planet We all want opportunities, you know, to make up for it. And my father began showing up. And, uh, you know, it's been really very remarkable. And we wrote this book together and we wrote as an act of healing together after he died.
0: Almost every chapter opens up, it either opens up or closes with book ended with letters to your dad, right? That you, you sent to him. And so many of them. I cried so many times throughout the book, but it was like very healing crying, right? Because I have a lot of masculine rage in my family too. I grew up with a very authoritarian dad, but who I also loved very much. And that ambivalence, is that the word, right? It's a, that is so difficult to deal with of like such a deep love, but it also at the same time of like begging for scraps of validation. It's so difficult.
3: Yes, you know, I wrote once, you know, my father almost loved me, you know, <laughs> so mm-hmm. the way I felt, we're almost there. And that's a, that's a dreadful feeling.
0: I know without a shadow of a doubt, my dad would take a bullet for me. I know that my dad would give a organ for me. He would put his his house to save me if he needed to. But that's only part of love, right? and then, but then I also see my dad has the power to completely cut people out of his love. and I've seen that happen. and so that theme came through in your writing, and it really connected with me because these feelings are not clean cut. It's not like, oh, bad dad, screw him. It's people are messy.
3: people are messy, and life is messy, and everything you know, and that's the thing and and people are many things, and we don't also understand you know at one point i talk a lot about the long story of our souls and take back the magic and the fact that we all have many lifetimes many many births many many lives many many deaths and our souls are like threads that are entangled with each other and it's not until we die that we get a glimpse of the long story of our souls and It's, you know, one of the things that unfolded for me after my father's death was there were certain things he'd done that felt like curses upon me. And they turned out to be weird Easter eggs that I opened up to find treasures inside of. And one of them was my name, which he called me Perdita, you know, which for an ex-Irish Catholic to call his daughter Perdition, is really intense. I'm
0: Can you like, explain to the listeners who aren't familiar with that what perdition means? Because your name itself in the book and how you described that, I was like, whoa, your dad was just twisting the knife.
3: <laughs> like like it's really intense. So my name is Perdita, and anyone who speaks Spanish or Portuguese knows or Latin knows it means lost. Mm. But in fact, if you are an Irish Catholic as my father was growing up, perdition is internal damnation. So it's not a like thing. Now, Perdita is also fascinatingly like a character in a Shakespeare play. But a Shakespeare play that's really weird and terrifying. Mm-hmm. There are many weird layers, but it was, it was, what I discovered was our relationship was unfolding and was more complicated than I even knew. Mm-hmm. But he did, sh- one of the things I often stress is we don't have to forgive the dead. We have to, demand that they show us that they are worthy of forgiveness Mm. and that's really different like we often talk ourselves into kind of spiritual i should be a good person i shouldn't be angry i shouldn't be mad i shouldn't be i shouldn't be disappointed i shouldn't be frustrated i say the dead can take it all they're dead and they need to know how you feel Mm. and then they need to get to work and you know, that's what happens. The dead start to show up for us. My father has showed up more for me financially, so much so that it's a joke in my family that my inheritance from him has been bounteous.
0: Even post post him dying.
3: Oh, only post dying. Like wow. when you were describing your father like he would do anything for you. No, my father would not do anything for me. Uh, yeah.
0: He
3: wouldn't he wouldn't he wouldn't he no. would lend me a hundred bucks if I needed it. When he was alive, he was quite stingy and quite withholding. In death, he has been radically generous.
0: Can you explain how that has manifested for my listeners? Because imagine that you are talking to a listener that's like, really? the skeptical listener, the me four years ago, by the way, who was completely agnostic. Plus, I also experienced people kind of Losing either losing their minds when they were getting into this kind of stuff and using it as a moralistic thing or using using spiritual beliefs as being very exclusionary. And so I'd love for you to talk about what is the unseen world to you, Perdita, for like the listener who is brand new to this.
3: I often say that I prefer ecology to theology. I prefer dirt. I prefer root systems mycelial networks, trees, rain, water. What I know about the unseen world, I know because of watching the natural world. And that the natural world and the unseen world are the same world. And to be in conversation with one is to be in conversation with the other. So I'm not talking about... I am always very nervous around any abstract theologies that use words that I don't even know what they attach to in the real world. I, I'm more comfortable with rocks, weeds, <laughs> you know, <laughs> with this, the, the gritty stuff. So here is something for your listeners to get grounded in the dead. Go outside, wherever you are, and pick up a handful of dirt. If you're in the city, scrape something up off, you know, right around a post or, or a poor little tree stuck in the cement. Grab some dirt, wherever you are. You can get dirt anywhere. I'm talking dirt, I'm not talking soil or hummus or something sort of pretty and groovy. Dirty dirt. And if you hold that dirt in your hands, you are holding the bodies of the dead in your hands. You're holding dead insects. You're holding the excrement that has come through animals, that is the bodies of dead plants and animals. You're holding the dead stones, which were once sea creatures and oceans 350 million years ago. You're holding dead plants. You are holding the bodies of the dead. When I say the bodies of the dead are here, I mean it literally. They, You are standing atop them. You stand atop their bodies, and their bodies hold you. And within our DNA is the memory of all of the bodies of the dead, our bodies have passed through too, And it's like a column within us and within each one of our cells. So what I'm talking about when I say the dead are right here, I mean it literally. Now to go back to my father, I prayed to the dead knowing all this, but the dead still weren't real for me in some fundamental way, Molly. I had been praying to the dead for 20 years calling their names being in subways leaving food up for them prayers with them rituals with them but there's some way i thought what i was doing was made up okay and then a year after my father died my father's name was matthew and i need to tell you one few more things about him he was an emergency room doctor surgeon in those days, you weren't specialized, you were a nurse, emergency room director, a surgeon, GP, you could be all of it in a little rural hospital. And he was all of it. And he was on call all the time. His partner was a drunk. And so he was always available. And he was stressed. I don't think I was really cognizant that when the phone rang, the person whose tumor had burst was his friend's wife. The person who'd thrown themselves off the bridge was the kid down the street. you know what I mean? Like, like it was really intense work. And but he was so tired and stressed out. And he would answer our telephone. This was the way he answered the telephone. Excuse me to your listeners. Jesus H fucking Christ. What is it this time? Angry, freaked out, stressed. Wow. Just like, don't fucking bother me. Right? And and so he was very intense guy. But he also was a really good doctor. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he was he was not sentimental. He wasn't compassionate. He wasn't empathic. And yet in the 1970s, I had bad menstrual periods. He got me to a specialist in Boston who gave me laparoscopic surgery for endometriosis. He always knew the guy. Do you know what I mean? There was no sentimentality, but he would get you the best of the best. So a year after he died, my daughter, who's writing, you know, she writes a lot about illness. Became quite sick, really sick. And in the beginning, being a doctor's daughter, being Matt Finn's daughter, I thought, we'll find the guy in New York who's the best of the best. We'll go to the best of the best. We'll go out of network. We went to one specialist after another specialist on Fifth Avenue and you know, at Columbia and Cornell and all the fanciest places. And doctor after doctor looked at us and said, Huh, something's really the matter with this kid.
0: Reading about what you went through with Sophie, number one, was heartbreaking. Because for me, I relate a lot to you, and I'm hope, hopefully, I will be blessed with the opportunity to be a mother. And I am very controlling, but out of love, right? That's what I'll say. I, yeah. Like I will organize everything. I'm going to Google it. I'm going to find it and I'm going to make it better. And sometimes you just have to leave things. And that was like your exploration with Sophie taught me so much, um, just even for my future. Cause I was like, oh my God, I am Pravita archetype mom. Like that is me. And
3: I can what, fix this. Yes, Mama can fix this.
0: And what, I don't care I was, what it
3: costs. I don't care what it takes. Yes. I will do it.
0: And what I was blown away with, because you hear this all the time, and it's very valid, right? Because some people don't even have the luxury to go to these top of the line doctors. But also, something that I feel like we all need to be very cognizant of right now, the time that we're in, is that doctors don't always all have it figured out. There are other ways to heal, and you probably know that better than anyone else, right? It's like, it doesn't matter how privileged you are, even if you go to the top doctor's Sometimes they just can't, they don't have the answers. Mm.
3: We spent all our money going to these doctors. Yep. We took out a second mortgage on our house. We went into debt. We maxed out our credit cards. Mm. We spent our savings. We spent every penny we had and we got no answers. And yeah. our my daughter was getting sicker and sicker. And then we lost our jobs. God. And so I'm going to tell you the two things that happened with my father at this moment. This is a year after he died. I was at the gym and... I was a mess. I had a kid at home who could not go to school, could not get out of bed, who was saying to me, mom, I want to get out of my body. I just mm. want to leave my body. I can't be oh this God. It, 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 And I didn't know what to do. Oh.
0: There's like probably nothing worse than a mom could hear. And Basically I'm, saying, I want to die.
3: I don't want to die. And I'm at the gym crying, trying to like de-stress for 15 minutes so I can go back into the situation and figure out what to do. And this, one, wonderful little old woman she's she's amazing she her name's joe mm-hmm. she's just spitfire and i hope like i'm like joe in my 80s she's not <laughs> even still going to the gym you know badass. what i mean she's still, yeah she's like, I and she goes perdita i was holding on to this but you gotta go see my psychic oh no i'm not a fucking psychic no, is this and, what and is I, this what my life has come to i've never i'm not a psychic person i did yeah. zen meditation. You know, control, 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 Mm -hmm. macho. Give me a macho spiritual practice. Don't give me a philosophical one. Get me up in my head, right? Yeah, no, woo-woo. I've never been to a psychic before. I'm like, oh, no. And so she goes on and on about the psychic, and I throw the address in my pocket, and I go home. And Sophie is weeping in bed, and I've got nothing. And so I think, what the hell? And I'm at my wit's end financially, everything. I'm backed into a corner and I go into this little store in town that's filled with size four shoes and size two dresses because that's what the psychic wears. (laughs) And (laughs) And this tiny little woman with a shock of white and purple hair, and she just has the most translucent skin and the blackest eyes. She comes out and she looks at me and I now know how rare this is. She does not like to do readings for people. She doesn't do them on the spot. She did, always schedules them. She's very difficult to schedule with them. She looked mm-hmm. at me and she said, mm, kids sick, come into the background. And Without ever having known me. Nothing. I walked in. She said that. And I was sort of speechless. And I walk into this little tiny room and I sit on this tiny little stool with a Hello Kitty decal on it. And she looks at me First thing she said is, I see a woman behind you with a sword in her heart, which has been an unfolding experience for a long time with me. Mm-hmm. But then then she said, oh, your father's here. you got to forgive me. I don't like to use bad language. She said, I hate to use bad language. She said, he just said, Jesus, fucking Christ, Perdita. What is it this time? She
0: said that verbatim.
3: That was the first thing. And I screamed because it was my father. What piece of information would make <laughs> me laugh, would make me know it was him?
0: I that mean, then she,
3: then she said, me, well, your mother's name is Patricia, and she's here. She's beautiful. So- she
0: knew that specific of information. Perdita, I got to tell you, I went to one, quote unquote, psychic before, recommended to me by a spiritual influencer, TM, huge air quotes. And she told me she was going to read my Akashic records. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. Le- and let's just say that I was like, what? Not none of it really made any connection. And that's why I want to tell the listeners, right? Just like there are good doctors, not so good doctors, good psychics, not so good psychics, like everyone, but the very fact that this woman could just tell you the name of your mom, I didn't even know that there were psychics out there that could do that. Oh, genuinely. they can.
3: They can. I have a lot of advice about going to see psychics now. And I ended up writing a book with this woman um, called The Reluctant Psychic which is about her life.
0: That's but, the kind of psychic I want to go to, the reluctant well, psychic.
3: <laughs> She's very reluctant. And, you know, in a, in a different age, we would have built a temple to her and kept her fed. And instead, she was doing readings in her little store for 20 bucks a pop. What she said to me, my father said was that my father had gotten me to her. Your skeptical agnostic, agnostic dad. dad had brought me to the psychic because she was our guide through this illness.
0: So and how did she support your family?
3: Many ways. I mean, I wrote a book about her because what she really did was, I really, I, I call it, I apprenticed with her. And what I learned is that I'm not psychic, but she, but everybody is psychic. In what way? How is everyone psychic? It, it used to be that every person was in conversation with the unseen world. And we were all in conversation in our own ways. Some people hear the dead, some people see the dead, some people bring forth the music of the dead. Some people are novelists who tell their stories through that way. Some are mm-hmm. artists who can bring through their visions of the dead. I have a friend who's a sculptor who, you know, she, she sculpts from the ether, these incredible beings who need to come through her hands. So we all have ways of communicating with the other side. And that's one of the things I do in my workshops is help people begin to develop a relationship to their own intuition and imagination, which is what I did through my relationship with Fiona. As I developed, I realized that I'd been seeing the dead my whole life. I realized I'd been in conversation with them. What happened when I really knew they were there? Well, the first thing I said to my dad is, if you're really there, I need some help because I'm in chaos you know, with this kid gets me the psychic. I'm also in financial chaos. So I am, um, uh, you know, suddenly the IRS is writing us terrifying letters.
0: Nothing can quite strike fear into one's heart like the IRS. I go,
3: you know, my to go to my dad, Matthew Finn, please, 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 you've got to help me with the IRS. Help me get the IRS not to take my home away. <laughs> That's the place we were in. You learn about prayer when you're up against the wall. I get on the phone with the IRS seeing like, how can I navigate this? I'm terrified. And I get this really nice woman and she s- starts looking through everything she said. And I told her my story and she said, we can make you uncollectible. Did you know such a status exists with the What IS? the hell is
0: uncollectible?
3: Uncollectible means they just, they just it's too hard. you're having a bad time. You don't have any assets. It's not worth being assholes to you. So then my husband and I don't believe this is a real thing. Like what's going to happen? I mean, of course it means that we have to be meticulous about our taxes from then on, or we lose the status, you know, blah, 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 blah. blah. Okay. We're going to be, but we got our accountant. Our accountant has never heard of such, (laughs) but he does some research and it's true. It's real. And we, we've been going to this accountant for 20 years. We walk out of the office we've been going to for 20 years. And we notice that across the street from this office is an abandoned church. We'd never noticed it before. And we notice there's a statue above the front door. It's a bearded guy holding a book. We walk over. We're like, Who is that? Who is that statue of? It's not Jesus. It's not Moses. It's not, who is it? It's St. Matthew. My father was Matthew. And Matthew was the tax collector. It was to, That was the beginning of the unfolding of miracles with my father. And what I tell people is he, my father got me to the guide through my daughter's illness. He got us the help we needed financially. And he's been helping us
0: ever since. I am just, I'm blown away. And this is the thing. Listeners that know, it's like the phrase, if you know, you know. If one of these synchronistic moments has happened to you, you know and it can never mean what it means to you to another person because it's made for you my husband and i were driving i feel like it was four months ago now but i have photographic evidence we're driving we always talk about our dreams he was telling me that he had this dream of a black widow spider like it was a huge spider And I can't remember the intricacies of the dream, but I asked him, because I was like, how did you feel in the dream? Did you feel scared of the spider? Did you like the spider? And he said, no, I didn't feel scared of it at all in the dream. It is like a benevolent figure. I shit you not, as we're driving, we're talking about this spider. I'm like looking up spider symbolism, like like archetypal wisdom about spiders. And Zaz goes, Molly, oh my God. And he points out the, the window. And there's a big white truck driving next to us. And it has, guess what? A huge decal of a spider. And I look closer. Not only was it just a decal of a spider, it was a black widow with the red hourglass thing on its back. And it said, black widow. I have a fucking picture of it. The car went silent. And I think we were silent for like three minutes because we were just going, holy shit. Like, what are the fucking chances that this would happen? These synchronicities have happened to me after my grandmother died. She was the most special person in the world to me, and my grandma loved angels, and she loved the Virgin Mary. She just, like, always talked about angels. She always told me angels were looking out for me. She had a little necklace that she would shake, and it tinkled, and she would say that angels were in there. So, like, angels were my grandma's thing. And when she died, I couldn't be there for her in the end, and I, I got to talk to her on the phone. Um... But I kept seeing angels everywhere, like pictures of angels, um, you know, angels on a, on a boil board or something that I would never have picked up on. And the, the kicker of it all was one of my best friends in the world, and I was really suicidal at that time. It was a very dark time for me living in LA. Um, it's true what they say about LA eating you and spitting you out because sure shit does do that. just like New York City, though, you know, it's tough. My friend Katie Dyer, who lives in London, texted me and she goes, Hey, Angel, just checking on you. She had never called me Angel before in our entire like nine year relationship. And I knew inside that there was a connection to my grandma. And sometimes I will think of my grandma and I will get full body goosebumps when I think of her. And it's just, I
3: know she's there. No one could tell me different. We don't we don't get proof the dead are real that we can share with other people. We get proof the dead are real that changed our level of faith and confidence. And confidence means with faith. Yes. And faith itself is faith in the mystery, faith in the darkness, faith in the unknowability of things. Yes. I know my dad is there. I know my mom is there. I know the dead are there. I know grandmother's spider is weaving the whole web and getting us all interconnected. You know, I mean, And these synchronicities that can happen are a way of confirming when we're on the path of what I call the path of prayer, the path of the heart. And you know, sometimes people will think, "Am I going to get too kooky? And am I going to get lost in some like grand conspiracy theory?" Or I I think that's
0: what puts a lot of people off about getting into this stuff. Here's
3: one of the things that I think is very grounding with all of this, and I think it's really, really important to be kind of grounded Mm -hmm. with it. Is have friends, tell stories, have someone you talk to. Yes. You know, share what's happening. It is wondrous. I have, you know, I have monthly conversations on these experiences for people where people come and share them. And in fact, we're having the, these things all the time. This used to be the way our ancestors navigated the world. You navigated the world in conversation with the trees, in conversation with the flowers. And conversation with the ancestors whose bodies were the dirt beneath your feet. They guided you where you needed to go. And those were called the song lines in the Aboriginal people in Australia. It's, it's the ancient stories of your ancestors. I say we don't know about gods or goddesses. I don't even know about angels. But I know no. the dead are there. So the mothers who've loved me from innumerable past lives are there reaching out to me still. And I know that I will be a mother who will continue to reach out to my children for 10,000 lifetimes, demanding they listen to me and do what I say.
0: Just loving, <laughs> lovingly controlling them, right? Same here, same here, Perdita, I also will. We'll now have a quick pause in the interview for a word from the back from the borderline sponsor, Pure Spectrum CBD. My premium submarines on Patreon receive ad-free episodes, so if you would like that experience more, you can consider signing up today by the link in my bio. And now, for the ad. Part of the way I'm able to continue podcasting full time is by partnering with companies that I believe in. Listeners of my podcast and myself are all on a journey to achieve mental, physical, and emotional balance. And that's why I've teamed up with Pure Spectrum CBD, a trusted leader in the industry committed to delivering the highest quality products. Pure Spectrum believes in the transformative power of CBD and phytocannabinoids supporting our endocannabinoid system to promote balance and wellness, not just for us, but even our pets. Pure Spectrum was the very first company to open a branded CBD retail store in the United States and have even established strong partnerships with major sports organizations like the CrossFit and Olympic Games. Meticulously sourcing their hemp from trusted organic farms, Pure Spectrum rigorously tests for purity, potency, and safety. Plus, they provide third-party lab tests for every batch with both USDA organic and NSF certifications ensuring their products meet the highest possible standards. Whether you're seeking balance, relief, better sleep, or overall well-being, Pure Spectrum has a tailored solution for you. I have personally been using and loving their High Concentration CBD Cream and the Tranquil CBD and CBN Tincture. Both of these have been really helping me out with the pain and insomnia I experienced during my menstrual cycle. As a back from the borderline listener, you get 15% off your first order by visiting PureSpectrumCBD.com slash BFTB. You can also find a direct link by visiting backfromtheborderline.com, clicking into my link tree and scrolling to the bottom. And remember, healing is a highly individual journey, so what works for me might not work for you. CBD may interact with certain medications or medical conditions, so if you have any concerns, it's best to seek professional guidance from your doctor i only partner with companies i trust and pure spectrum is the real deal and the best part one of our very own bftb listeners is the one who brought this partnership into my life which makes it that much more meaningful so if you'd like to check out their products and get 15 percent off your first order today visit pure spectrum cbd.com bftb now let's get back into the episode My next question ties in really well with this. Your book, it not only shares your personal experiences, but also your writing is right to inspire healing in other people. I'd love to hear you discuss how the act of sharing these stories and connecting with our ancestors can inspire transformation and healing real life here in the here and now because my podcast started out as a podcast about BPD but it has changed much since then (laughs) as I no longer find as much utility in labeling ourselves with these disorder and dysfunction labels, but the suffering is real. The trauma is real. And one of the symptoms of BBD Perdita is chronic feelings of emptiness. And I'd say that by far out of any symptom, when I discuss that, I call it the big empty TM because like it is a thing. How do you can we approach those feelings <laughs>
3: okay
0: <laughs> just a casual
3: easy question for you of all well, civilization sucks I had a grandmother my mother's mother who I was told growing up was mentally ill that she was bipolar and was mentally ill and you know I, the you know my my uncle became the professor of psychiatry at Harvard you know to You know, deal with these people, right? Mm -hmm. And I found after my mother died, my grandmother's diaries, mentally ill or an appropriate reaction to a life she'd had to live. And she was a gifted, gifted gardener, a genius gardener who could grow anything. And she was trivialized by the psychiatrist whose records I had, who treated her and said, you know, she wasn't really, she, she wasn't a woman of much talent or skill. One
0: should never read their own psychiatric
3: notes, in my opinion. My next book is about my mother's mother, and it's about, mm-hmm. you know, what's happened to women in our culture. It's called "The Body of our mothers." But so first of all, let me say How can I summarize this in a sentence? The goal of civilization is that it works for a couple of people, sort of, at the top. Of <laughs> sort the pyramid. of pyramid right and it doesn't work for everybody else and that's the way it's always been how do you keep everybody else in line how do you keep them obedient enslaved you've got to make them fearful and you've got to isolate them from each other and so civilization is is an intense experiment in isolation violence betrayal you know how do we separate mothers and grandmothers from their children? How do we separate mothers and daughters from each other? How do we separate women as friends from each other? And most of all, how do we separate people from the consoling, loving, generous guidance of those on the other side? Because if people are listening to the dead, they're not listening to the priests. They can be Christian priests, they can be Buddhist priests, they can be Sufi priests, I don't care what what religion. You have
0: to go to X dude so that he can translate the word of God for you.
3: In order to get people to pay attention to religious authorities, we had to get them to stop talking to the dead. And so how do you do that? You have to make the dead terrifying. And in making the dead terrifying and isolating people from each other. So let's just say What do we do with babies? You say you want to be a mother? Yeah. We take babies, infants, and we put them in a room by themselves in the dark. And we tell them to learn to cry themselves to sleep. We are cultivating loneliness, isolation, helplessness. Babies ought to know that when they cry, everyone comes. Babies ought to never be apart from somebody's skin. For the first five years of life, and also the idea that a single mother can provide all that is also a, a rigged game. And and one of the things in indigenous cultures and in hunter gatherer cultures is that many women will breastfeed a child after the child is born, and many people will hold this child. And why are adolescents up in the middle of the night all the time? Because they're the one doing the midnight feedings, and they're the doing the ones doing the middle of the night stuff. The yeah. And they're grandmothers. They're circles of mothers, they're circle of grandmothers. And these are not gendered terms. In the long story of our souls, we've been many genders. And look, fungi have 36 different genders. So we've had a lot of fun. Every possible
0: expression.
3: Every possible expression. But one of the things that's fascinating to me about what I was going to finish saying about hunter-gatherers is that. In many hunter-gatherer cultures, when many men think of themselves as the father of a baby, they're the mother, and the mother feeds it with her body, everybody experiences themselves as a mother to the child. Also, in, in Tyson Yacoporta, who's a wonderful Aboriginal teacher, writes in his culture, what happens in a culture that believes in the eternal return? That mm-hmm. m- when my great-grandmother dies, she may be reborn as my child. And we recognize each other from all of our other incarnations. So a friend of mine was an anthropologist who was studying the Kong in South Africa a long, long time ago. And he arrived, Harvard trained, and his first job was, who's in charge? Who's the big man? Who's the leader? He couldn't figure it out. At one minute, it seemed to be a young 25-year-old guy. Ten minutes later, it was an eight-year-old girl. Then it was an old woman. And it was a 14 year old girl then it was an old man what happens when we recognize in the eight-year-old girl our 80 year old great grandmother who's died who is wise about the plants and we know she's come back and holds all that wisdom in her mm-hmm. we we don't warehouse our children in daycare because they are our treasure trove of the past they are our wisdom keepers Children are the wisdom keepers of our ancestors, and we should circle them to find out what they know and who they are and what they're bringing through that we need right now. Just like old people shouldn't be warehoused in nursing homes, they are the treasure trove of wisdom from this life. And when you circle the children with mothers of all genders and grandmothers of all genders, when everyone feels circled, and then when everyone feels circled by the dead, And everybody's getting the mothering they need because nobody gets the mothering they need in our culture. Not the mothers, not the children, not anybody.
0: We've lost a focus on the collective. We're stripped of our intuitive faculties, which I think has left many of us open to being victimized, me being disconnected from my gut feelings and like questioning those. Yes. That led to so many traumatizing situations. The amount of guys that, that I used to like be really drawn to because of just trauma reenactment, I got gut feelings of going, Molly, ooh, ooh, but I just kind of pushed it out of my awareness and-
3: We don't want women to trust their intuition and we don't <laughs> want women to trust their imagination and we need to trust our intuition and imagination.
0: We do, deeply. And this brings me perfectly to my next question. For readers that want to start forging their own relationships with people in their lives who have passed, and even with maybe ancestors who they've never known, or the wider, you know, bigger energies of the mother in general, how would you recommend they begin that process, especially if they're very new to these
3: concepts? First of all, my all of my teaching is summarized in two simple principles: the dead are real. All the dead who have ever been since life began on this planet—call them from single-cell organisms to little viruses to through vast creatures we can't even imagine—they're mm-hmm. all real. The dead are all real, and they all want to help us. Where to begin? We have to ask for help and that goes back to that baby crying by themselves in a bassinet in a room alone we have to cr- we have to ask for help so sometimes what i tell people to do in my workshops is to begin very very slowly and very very small ask to get ask someone specific on the other side to help you get a human being on the phone when you make a phone call
0: mm-hmm.
3: That'd be a miracle, wouldn't it?
0: For my Catholics out there or my ex-Catholics, my grandma, whenever I would lose things, she'd say say a prayer to St. Anthony, right? Because St. Anthony is the saint of lost things. So it's like, we do this, even people that practice like organized religions are already doing it.
3: And by the way, St. Anthony, just to go back to gender and the men and the Mm -hmm. mothers, Mm -hmm. when every church we went into in France, there would be the Virgin Mary and there'd be two saints on either side of the Virgin Mary. One would be Joan of Arc in full armor with a sword, and on the other would be St. Anthony wearing his monk's robes, holding the baby Jesus. Really? A woman with a sword. So the two two sides of the Madonna are this woman warrior, woman Mm. as masculine, and the masculine as the mother. And that we all contain multitudes. We are all things. We have the potential to be Joan of Arc sometimes, and sometimes wow. we need to be St. Anthony. Wow. I pray to both of them every day.
0: Ugh, and that just makes me think, you know, that's why balance is so important. That's why no matter who we are, I am of the belief that I think we're all getting everyone across the whole gender spectrum, across every single aisle whether this be with gender, with psychiatry, with anything, we're all getting so, with religion, so focused on identity as these labels, we're forgetting that all of us are all things, all the time, all at once.
3: All at once, and, and, and that's a resource for us. Yes. And here's the other thing that's really fun. Once you begin to access the long story of your soul, and my book is about recovering that long story for myself and what it means, the end result of it is you begin to realize you've been the mother of everyone you meet. What does it mean when you're the mother of the person in solitary confinement in a jail? What does it mean when you're the mother of the child on the garbage dump in India or Mexico City? And I don't mean that metaphorically. I mean that literally. We have all been each other's mothers. It's, but what does it mean to feel walk outside our door and feel truly mothered? We're not alone. You talked about being frightened of the dark at the beginning of this session before we started recording. What if we knew that in the dark, there were mothers from past lives we don't even remember who were watching out for us, praying for us, guiding us? The fact that I survived my adolescence is a testament to those mothers. And when we begin to feel their presence in the dark, know they're there, and know that we're all there for each other. Then there'd be enough mothers in the world. I'm working on a piece right now about, you know, Soren wins at the end of Lord of the Rings because the diversity leaves the world. It's the homogenizing influence. You know, instead of a million kinds of apples, we're going to have one tasteless red delicious at the supermarket. You know, it's, it's, it's the homogenizing culture. American culture has become the great monotheism, right? It's a,
0: It's the authoritarian. We're always watching. If you do bad, you are bad. That kind of belief, the punitive, authoritative daddy, which is why I always said, fuck this when I was around religion. And then the moment that I started exploring the esoteric, more mystical practices of the inner traditions of all different spirituality, that's when I was like, ah, okay, intuitively, this makes more sense. We all are lovable. You contain multitudes. Yeah, that sounds much more true than you're bad because you don't believe in the version of God that I do.
3: Well, it's, it's, it's about obedience and authority. And, 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 what we, you, know, and uh, you know, I say the opposite of patriarchy is not matriarchy because the mothers are not interested in the thearchy. They're not interested in ruling. I talk about the mattress sphere. And someone said, that sounds like a whole new mattress store. And I said, it is because it's a place where we can sleep, rest, cuddle, have sex and be alive again.
0: I just came across a book yesterday and it's called, I think it's called The Sword and the Chalice. The Chalice it. and the
3: Blade by Rhiannon Eisler.
0: It's just like what you described with Joan of Arc and uh, St. Anthony. There's a time for the sword, there's a time for the chalice, but we've forgotten. The feminine is their receptive energy, like the cup, the chalice, the grail, and the sword is the penetrating quality, and you need Both of those things, but we've gone so far weighted into the the
3: sword that we were imbalanced. We're really imbalanced. And, you know, and, and, but the people who are going to set us right, we have to feel mothered enough. We have to feel safe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the times around us right now are very frightening. We need to figure out how each of us can become an oasis of faith for others. And how can we feel safe, relaxed? And inside of not frightened of death, not frightened of the dead, not frightened of the dirt, not frightened of the darkness, but really held, really loved, and really seen. That's a beautiful
0: truth. As we ebb to the end of our conversation, I'd love to hear more about this part. In your book, you suggest that no one's ever truly lost to us if we allow ourselves to engage in conversations with the unseen world. And I'd love to know how this belief has shaped your perspective on loss and grief and how it can offer comfort and solace to anyone who's experienced
3: loss. Well, first of all, bodies are real and bodies count. And what I wouldn't give for a day to hold my mother's body, to smell her, to feel her arms around me, to touch her hair, her skin, to hear her voice, share a cup of tea with her, even to be irritated at her. You know, (laughs) that we miss bodies is is a reality, and bodies die and rot and go back to the earth. And 20 years after my mother's death, I miss her body. I feel her daily presence with me. And not just like with a sign or a feeling, but she shows up. If I need help, my mother shows up. She really shows up. And and she's really there. One of the things is we don't grieve in our culture. You know, people used to go into mourning for a year. They'd wear yeah. black for years and say, look, I'm in, I'm in grief. I have a student who's studying uh, grief singing from around the world just extraordinary woman like we used to have professional keeners to come and help us express our grief and sing our grief we have to grieve we have forgotten how to grieve we go to places where traumas and tragedies have happened I'm thinking of um, my, you know my in-laws lived in Selma Alabama and we ought to Grieve and will when we walk across that bridge. That's a place of sorrow. I mean, there was triumph there, but there was also great, great horror there too. We've forgotten how to grieve. We've forgotten how to express our feelings. But if we can move through grief really effectively, then we can also begin to realize that our relationships with all of the dead are not over.
0: Your book, you described as a spellbinding meditation and an ode to the power of the unseen. What I'd like to know is, what would you hope for readers of your book to take away from it? What transformation or shift in their beliefs or perspectives do you hope that you can facilitate by someone reading your book?
3: Well, I have two hopes, Molly. I have one very big, noble hope. And then I have one very personal hope. So the big one is, you know, I hope people are less frightened and know they're not alone, Mm -hmm. that they feel genuinely loved by those on the other side, that no one feels alone. And I hope people know how much they belong to this earth and -hmm. are loved by the mothers of this earth, and they feel that belonging. I think of the um, Raymond Carver poem, the poem he wrote, the last poem he wrote at the end of his life, He'd been a terrible alcoholic, and then he finally got success as a writer and found the love of his life and was diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer. So at the very end, he wrote this poem. And did you get what you wanted, even so? I did. Mm. And what did you want? To call myself beloved, to feel myself beloved on this earth.
1: Mm.
3: And that's my prayer, is that people will feel beloved now my personal hope for the book is i hope someday my future parents in my next incarnation will recognize me and they will go recognize me like oh this is a live one this one's a storyteller this one's a you know this one's a bundle of mischief i want to hit the ground running in my next life i want to be reborn to the circle of mothers and the circle of grandmothers so What is the world we all want to be reborn to?
0: I know that it can be very difficult, especially when we're just struggling to get by. But I think what I've found, at least in my own journey, is that zooming out and thinking of things from a perspective that are much bigger than I am has helped me in the moments when I'm just struggling to get by.
3: You know how I begin my morning, Molly? Mm -hmm. This is how I begin my every morning i'm a class a fretter worrier olympic class me too i begin the morning cataloging my worries about my children my health my family members my friends my house my car my cats my dog my everything Yeah. and i assign each worry to someone on the other side i literally every single worry i give over i i i put someone on the other side in the driver's seat, and I get in the back seat.
0: Giving the dead jobs to do.
3: Every morning. I do it every morning.
0: What kind of changes have you seen in your life since you started doing that?
3: My whole life has changed, Molly. That's why I wrote this book and why I'm writing so many more books. I'm having so much fun. And my writing. I mean, I write with the dead. I write with the dead. I create art with the dead. Anything becomes possible with the dead and lots of magic has happened. My daughter is a wild success in her book. It didn't look like her book was going to get published and we prayed I prayed to all these editors I knew on the other side and when it got published I had to go and bring them all a glass of bourbon and say a rosary with them at their gravesides.
0: And they came through.
3: Yeah, and and the dead will come through for you. They'll show up for you. I have miracles happen every day and I just want to say that, you know, I teach workshops on this. I write books about it i have a Substack about this i really there, i wanted to create a lot of different ways for people to access this wisdom but all you need is someone you trust on the other side it doesn't even have to be a human being it could be an animal mm-hmm. often it's an animal and begin making magic with them and see what happens you know I be, i'm a sort of believer in the mystery religions the mystery religions were they were called the mystery cults of the mediterranean of of Isis and Dionysus and Persephone. But what a mystery religion is, it was nothing was ever written down. There was no scripture. You got to, to live inside mystery is to live inside the unknowability of the universe. But that unknowability is intimate and loving. And we don't have to know how the magic works to have the magic in our lives. I feel like that's like the
0: title of the episode. <laughs> 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 I love that. Ah, uh, Perdita, you already mentioned it a bit, but I like to end each episode with giving my guests the opportunity to share what you're working on next and what other offerings um, are available because someone is going to listen to this, probably many people, and number one, want to buy the book, but they'll also say, oh, how can I dive more deeply into Bertita's Bertita's work? How can I connect with her?
3: So my next book is called The Body of My Mother, Beyond the Witch Wound to a World Renewed. And if you um, get my paid substack, you can read that book. And I work on it on, yeah, I work on it online and I share it with my paid Substack as a way to have an audience. I like being collaborative. And that also includes my paid Substack, $10 a month, lots of this writing and seeing this book up close and happening and a conversation, a Zoom conversation once a month on open conversation on people's experiences with the other side. And they're fabulous from all over the world to have these conversations. I also have a free Substack. And I write a lot. I, once I started writing with the dead, I'm writing so much. <laughs> so I promise you, I'm a very, I produce a lot on my Substack. It's Take Back the Magic, Perdita Finn, a Substack. I offer a lot of workshops. And I really, you know, I sometimes say that this work is simple. The dead, want, the dead are real. They want to collaborate with you. But that's saying like, it's easy to make bread, just combine water and flour. Yeah. <laughs> Getting that first sourdough starter going it can be good to have a community and some conversation and some guidance. And then the other thing that you've participated in is my husband and I wrote a book, The Way of the Rose, and we're working on our next book that we're working on currently is called Circles Not Lines, Spiritual Community Beyond Patriarchy. And so we have a completely feral, completely free spiritual community with no order no priests no hierarchies nobody cares if you've been around for 10 years or you showed up yesterday you want to lead a meeting lead a meeting we provide the architecture for that and the support for it we are devoted to the lady by any name you want to call her and that means any name you want to call her and um and from mother spider to freya to whatever to mother mary to the blessed mother we have everyone from you know witches to little old catholic ladies coming so it's Wild. I can
0: confirm I've taken part in one of these and it was like honey for the soul. It was just so nice to show up and see such a diverse group of people just wanting to take part in something spiritual that felt so inclusive. It's just a magical what you guys have created. For the listeners, I will be linking to all the books that we mentioned in the episode. I'll be linking to... Herdita Substack and also these various different ways that you can reach out to her and follow her work. Ardita, thank you so much for being here. I have a feeling you'll be back on the podcast again because I feel like I'm just going to want to interview about your next book. So thank you. Thank you for being here with me. Do you have like a final word that you'd like to leave the listeners with?
3: I do. And it's because of your name, Molly. I told you at the beginning, Molly was the name of my grandmother and my grandmother was a completely unremarkable woman. She was, you know, she just graduated high school, got married, you mm-hmm. know, in a factory town, had six kids, 24 grandchildren, you know, and <coughs> saved every bit of string, got her kids through the depression. You know, everybody li- stayed alive. And she showed up for me the night before my book was published so vividly in my dream. She said, you got the message, didn't you? I said, what was the message? She said, fair and I sometimes say, Molly, I don't want to be the Dalai Lama, I just want to be my grandmother. Let us honor the wisdom of those very ordinary, very, very spiritually powerful grandmothers who got us all right where we
0: are. I came across a phrase the other day that said, worrying is praying for what you don't want let us all pray for what we do want and Amen. stop pr- and <laughs> so then <be> also <laughs> giving giving the dead their jobs and letting them take care of, of the of the worries right
3: they can do it exactly They'll figure it
0: out exactly and so will we thank you Pradita. thank you molly thank you so much for being here with me and i do appreciate you bearing with me on the poor audio quality on my end but I have no doubt that Perdita's beautiful storytelling abilities and the fact that she was the one talking primarily could make up for it. Thankfully, I identified the issue and it shouldn't be happening on any future interviews, but this conversation was just too good not to put out. So I apologize that it is not the audio quality for me that you've come to expect on Back from the Borderline. But as they say, the show must go on. If you would like to connect with Perdita or dive deeper into her work, there's going to be a wealth of resources listed in the episode description, so don't forget to check those out. And as I mentioned midway through the interview, if you would like to unlock ad-free episodes as well as hundreds of hours of bonus content, you can consider becoming a premium submarine today by joining my Patreon for the same price as a bougie coffee or two midway bougie coffees you can unlock so many goodies and you can support the podcast and help me continue producing amazing content for you every single week In addition to that, you will also unlock access to my voice notes, and these are just private updates that I send to my premium subscribers every Thursday, full-length episodes for future and past episodes, as well as my whole episode archive. You'll also have the opportunity to meet and connect with other listeners, explore the episodes, comment on them, and engage in a discussion, and just deepen and expand the community there. So if that sounds interesting to you, you can learn more by clicking the link in my episode description or going to patreon.com and searching back from the borderline. Don't forget as well that I also am releasing monthly articles on Substack. If you'd like to receive those updates directly to your inbox, you can go ahead and visit backfromtheborderline.com, click into my website, and navigate to my Substack from there. You can subscribe for free and then boom, you'll be getting my updates. Also on my website, I recently uploaded a book recommendation list that is through the Amazon Influencer Program. So I get a small commission, and what I've done there is curated a list of tons of recovery resources and books. So each of them are separated by category, and I spent a ton of time putting that together. It's been something that's been highly requested by listeners, so you can go ahead and check that out on my website. That's it from me for today never forget, you haven't met all of you yet. Within your weakness, your inner chaos, and disorder lies your greatest strength. If only you would dare to shine a light on it and transmute it. We have to get to the point where we're willing to be the fool to begin our hero's journey. And remember, anyone, even you, can come back from the borderline. See you next Tuesday.